Welcome to Porcelain Peak, a strange and scary podcast covering all things horror and science fiction. Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Porcelain Peak. Yeah. As the British lady said, I'm Anthony and I'm joined by John and a newest addition to the Porcelain Peak team, Anthony. Yeah. That's hey, what's be- up, Peakers? Or what do you what do we call them? What do we call our fans, our yeah. listeners? Yeah. <laughs> Peakers. Porcelain Peakers. <laughs> the Porcelain Peeps. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you might recognize him from last season's episode of love death and robots and we had such episode. a good time a fire episode that we decided to bring him on permanently and it never hurts to have a graphic artist on staff you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i also think that it, like the biggest thing for me is it's a different vantage point when it comes to popular culture having somebody who is actually kind of like lightweight a part of things like you know doing cool like graphic designs and things it allows you a little more of like a an insider's perspective on the way that things look on screen or the way that things look in comics or books. You know, having the that artist background that's definitely not something that you and I have a a, a big foray in. You know, I can barely write my name. It's JB. It's two letters. <laughs> So if you want to get to know more about Anthony, then keep an eye out or an ear out for one of our bonus episodes where we're going to do a little uh, interview with him to get to know him better for y'all. And if by the end of this episode you decide you really don't like me, you can go ahead and skip the bonus episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That being said, we have a few other changes, and you will see those as they come along. And one of those is going to be the way that we run news, and another one is going to be the way that we do trivia. And then for the main discussion today, John and I are going to give you our last sci-fi misses. We finally watched the last ones on our list. And then after that, we're going to present three new ones that I guess we are even more shameful of. And then Anthony's also going to present some of his shameful sci-fi misses. And so for the month of September, we are going to focus on sci-fi. I am going to be doing what I like to call my September starve, where I don't watch any horror until October. And you're going to be hard-pressed to see me do that in the month that It Chapter 2 comes out. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not missing it. I'm yeah, going to see I'm, it. I'm definitely not going to put myself through that kind of torture, but <laughs> if yeah. you want if you want to lay yourself on the line for that, go ahead. And uh, Three from Hell comes out, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's going to be tough, but we'll see what happens. All right, that being said, let's jump into the news. This is It all right, so let's talk about some horror news. One thing that I want to bring up is that they announced the title for the next Halloween movie, and I really like it. It is Halloween Kills. I just want to know the direction it's going to go. You know, I knew at the end of the last one that we were going to get another one. We were going to get a sequel. It's going to make a a ridiculous amount of money, just like the first one did. Just like basically any horror movie now that runs on a fairly small budget does. I think that I'm cool with that. I just don't know how much a sequel was necessary. But if it's tight, I'm all in. 
I'm excited to check out the newest one in October because I haven't seen it since I think we saw it in theaters. Yeah, I I, I own it. I bought it on 4K because I felt like since I had the box set of all of the rest of the movies, including the zombie ones, I I, I felt like okay, I need to go ahead and buy this and. Um, I have not watched it. Um, and I think the last time I saw it, I maybe didn't even see the end of the movie. So I do think it's something I'm going to need to revisit. I personally really, really love the the announcement for the new title. I love those simple titles that just work as sentences. Halloween kills. All right. That's good. It's not Halloween. Hall- rocks. Yeah. It's not like Halloween <laughs> H2O. Kills, bro. The rise of Josh Hartnett. Well, it reminds oh, yeah. me of like a throwback, right? I feel like they did that in like the seventies or the eighties where it was like, even Rodriguez, isn't it Machete 2 called Machete Kills? Machete <laughs> like, Kills, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was supposed to be kind of a joke. And well, well, we were supposed to at one point get a movie called Halloween Returns, right? I think that's what they wanted to call the last one. Okay. Which would have made a little more sense than calling it Halloween when For it's the, the sequel time. to Halloween. <laughs> it's Halloween. Also the, name Halloween. Of, also the name of a holiday. <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring up that... Uh, we were talking about it when we actually did, like, two weeks after we did our our Midsummer or Midsommar, if you're that asshole, that they are doing a director's cut. And that actually comes out uh, at time of recording this weekend. Wow. Uh, so I'm pretty excited. I think I might try to check it out. I, it's the long weekend because we're coming up on Labor Day. Uh, oh, so that's I, right. So uh, I might check it out on Monday because I have it off for once. Uh, so I, I'm pretty excited to see what got put on the cutting room floor or what uh ari thinks needs to be in front of an audience because if there's stuff that's missing like i you know that movie was beautiful for being absolutely disgusting at any possible avenue it was absolutely beautiful and it was a spectacle to behold and i hope that there's more amazing shots and more more things that we get folded into, but I hope it doesn't like go through and try to answer a bunch of questions. Cause I liked that there were a few questions that were left over for you to mull over when the movie's over. One thing that I did see when I was looking at some news was that the director's cut apparently has even more character development. So if there was a few characters that I think lacked that. And so if we get that from those characters, then I think we'll be in business. Yeah. Well, I think it's a movie that I, I definitely agreed with the runtime originally in terms of it being longer than a lot of movies that people would want to sit through Mm -hmm. because it, it played into that feeling of being in this other world and being kind of stuck there. And it, and you felt like you were there on the one hand for forever, you know, and, and it was very disorienting. So making the, having a new cut that's maybe even beefs up some more of it and makes it even longer and especially you know like you were saying anthony beefing up the characters a little bit i think would really be a good idea because i felt like we got a little bit of some interesting stuff but for the most part it focuses on the the main character the main girl like danny and, i think i Dan, think so yeah 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 florence was it what's her name florence pew florence or pew yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm really excited to check it out i even if i don't check it out this weekend it is something that i want to i want to see at some point just because I felt like it it does a really great job of ratcheting up the tension. And because it doesn't have cheap jump cuts or scares and it doesn't pull away from any of the gore or the nastiness, it it's able to just ratchet that tension up and it doesn't have a release valve. It's like they turn it all the way up as far as it goes and they break it off. And they're like, all right, have fun 
uh, trying to get this out, bud. You know, <laughs> they, and they kind of leave you leave you to your own devices once you uh, set forth from the theater. And I love that. I think that Hereditary was very similar in that way. Uh, while I think it is that is a more textbook horror film, I do I do th- think that Ari's vision is incredible. And I think that being someone who's only really put forth two movies at this point, that it's an incredible start. I mean, it's, you know, up there with, you know, Jordan Peele with us and, and get out, you know, I think that it's, it's somebody who has a cool idea and a cool vision and isn't afraid to piss people off with it. And I give kudos to anybody that can make the daytime scarier under, yeah. cause we don't see a lot of that. Yeah. And I feel like, um, he, also, he has a short film that he actually put out before Hereditary. Mm-hmm. I believe it's called The Strange Thing About the Jeffersons. And that's Midsummer actually reminded me a little bit more of that because it ha- it's it's that idea of taking a very uncomfortable relationship or family dynamic and creating horror around that in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable because you might have been in a situation that's similar or you or just the, that dynamic is very strange and uncomfortable and um, I definitely want to see anything that he puts out. And if we're going to get a version of a movie that I already loved, that it's going to have even more of his material or is going to be even more his vision for the movie. Cause I know when I was listening to interviews with him, he talked a lot about how long that movie really was and how much more he had to include in it, but had to pare it down obviously just because he wanted to get it released. Yeah. I'm super excited and it's really cool that we're going to potentially have the opportunity to see it in our area. Yeah. Cause um, it, I was, I didn't expect it to come to Modesto. I expected it to be something where it just showed up in like LA or, um, you know, Sacramento or, you know, some of the bigger areas. All right, Anthony, over to you for your piece of horror news. Um, so this was something that I've kind of been keeping track of. Um, but also once it got on my radar, which actually happened kind of recently is Jennifer Kent, who directed the Babadook, um, her, her new movie, the Nightingale, um is it has reviews starting to pour in and they've been pretty positive and it sounds like it's a movie that's going to be very divisive and also kind of plays into what you were just talking about where with a director who can take this unconventional horror idea and just maybe get under your skin in a different way which i feel like the babadook did and that's why a lot of people reacted to the babadook maybe negatively um i certainly didn't i've loved it since i first saw it but i know a lot of people maybe didn't connect with the depression angle or what was kind of behind the characters and that. And I've been seeing articles popping up constantly about specific, really, really upsetting scenes from her new movie that are supposed to be very, very uncomfortable and spine tingling. And uh, that's something that I'm super excited to see. Um, It's just like Ari, uh, you know, these directors who are making a different kind of horror movie, a different kind of thriller, something that is way out of the convention. Well, it's headier and it's got a little more room for like study and like actually going at it from the lens of someone who wants to look at a film critically rather than somebody who wants to go and hear a loud sound every few minutes and get hit with a jump scare. I, I prefer the headier option. You know, I think that there are some movies that have jump scares that do them right, but these movies that come out that have all these false scares where there's this loud noise that plays just when anybody enters the room or anything like that, they, they get frustrating. Cats jumping on pianos. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that's like, like the I'm worst possible. I'm the jump possible. scare cat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, that, I think that I 
I definitely appreciate having these newer generation voices who are trying to kind of uphold what really makes horror incredible. And it's that you can basically make any story scary or unsettling or tense with the right storytelling mechanics and with the right like vantage point. And I think that that's something that I really appreciate with a lot of the newer directors that are coming out and doing things. I'm digging that we kind of have these two branches now where you get a lot more accessible, kind of fun, kind of gory stuff. And then we're getting these more elevated kind of psychological movies. And I'm a fan of all of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just love the genre. And so if I, I know what to watch, if I want to have a good time, I know what to watch if I want to hate myself tomorrow. We're good. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that the fact that a horror streaming service like Shudder can exist and be relatively successful, it seems, it speaks to the fact that we just have more options now in terms of what kind of horror you can be in the mood for a certain type of horror. It doesn't have, you know, you, not everything is going to be super gory or, you know, grindhouse stuff or, or it's going to be something where you can hop on and just like Netflix be like, am I more in the mood for the office or am I more in the mood for Mindhunter or whatever, you know, but <laughs> uh, whatever the horror equivalents of those would be. Well, yeah, and I think that also looking at streaming services in general, I mean, look at like Hulu with Into the Dark. They're uh, partnering up with big names in horror uh, with Blumhouse, but they're also giving voices to people who necessarily wouldn't get the opportunity to make a full feature somewhere else and saying, hey, we like what you're doing. We like these little ideas that you're making. Can you make us something bigger? Can you make us something broader? And it doesn't always hit. That's fine. But in situations where it does like the one we watched most recently was culture shock. I felt like that movie hit pretty well in a lot of ways. There are definitely some things that could have been worked out, but for like a first real feature, it's pretty incredible. Well, another thing I like what they're doing with that series, and I don't want to get too far off track though, is it kind of takes the idea of something like the ABCs of death and then VHS yeah. where you get these shorts and you're getting a bunch of different people and it gives them a larger medium to, to do their work. So you still get this anthology, but now that it's a series and we're getting one a month, they get to make whole movies instead of these 10-minute samples or whatever you're well, getting. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, it's basically just what John Carpenter wanted to do with Halloween when he did season of the, when they, when he wanted to do Season of the Witch and have it be a different thing that wasn't Michael Myers. It was just, let's make an anthology movie series that's horror-themed. Um, or like, has, you know. Bored. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. Halloween anthologies and then just did different stuff. And then every every movie, we got to see Michael Myers just walk by in the background. Yeah, that's you just turns and waves so you 100 percent have the porcelain peak stamp of approval if you go that route at any point in time <laughs> but let's hop into some sci-fi news um the thing for me right off the bat obviously i am incredibly upset about the whole spider-man scenario with with uh disney and sony uh, i has that officially been cut it, it hasn't been officially been like completely cut out uh, Tom Holland's spoken about it and said that he's still going to continue to make Spider-Man movies with, regardless of who's in charge. Uh, and I, and, I don't blame him. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, I mean, he's it's not like he's chasing a paycheck or anything. He is that character. And he's made strides for that character regardless of how much of that is writing, regardless of how much of that is being part of the MCU. But I think the big thing for me is just that everybody's making a shit ton of money here. Let's just be adults. Let's figure it out because... Honestly, being somebody who really loves Marvel in general and who really loves Spider-Man as a character, it hurts 
to know that that's just going to get stripped away because of money. Remember how excited we all were when he finally came? Yeah. And we're yeah. like, oh, shit, that's that, tight. That moment in Civil War, it still gives me the chills. Right. I watched that trailer when he showed up at the end. I watched that on repeat the entire day. I was in class. I was just <laughs> pulling people aside from, from their design projects they were working on. I was like, guys, guys, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, and I think, and I've joked about it, but I think it's just when you have an IP that's that big, when you have an IP like Spider-Man, who really is, even though other characters have kind of stepped up based on on the MCU's success to be these big flagship Marvel characters, your Iron Man's, your Captain America's, you know, are, are back in the limelight and stuff. Spider-Man, I feel like, and I may just be saying this coming from the perspective of somebody who is a diehard Spider-Man fan, is always going to be Marvel's biggest flagship character. He transcends and, the, the the medium. Yeah, and, and I think that because of that, it makes the business of... It makes the business side so depressing sometimes because you just realize how much at the end of the day it is about who controls the IP and who's making the most money off of it. Uh, we all want our favorite characters in our in our favorite movies and them all to be hanging out and everything. I'm cautiously optimistic. My main thing is I really hope that they don't try to recast anybody. You know, if Tom Holland wants to keep doing it and they want him to keep doing it, yeah, like, let's do that and let's do some fun stuff. Like he said when he responded... He said, hey, we're still going to do some cool new stuff. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be exciting. Spider-Verse was great. So yeah. those things give me a little bit of hope that maybe if they do want to try this whole Spider-Verse live action thing with Tom Holland, that, hey, they got a good jump start from having him in the MCU. It's going to feel like an awkward breakup because they're going to have to weirdly explain where he disappeared to and if he's just going to go leave the movies. Maybe they'll just be like, oh, he went to another universe. Well, I think they've <laughs> they've got time. Because they've got an ass load of movies they've got on the slate for Phase 4. Um, and on top of that, they also have to find time to fold in Blade, all of the X-Men, and on and Fantastic Four. They have to find time to make room for all these characters. And they're going to find the time to make that happen. But I, I just hope that during that time frame that we don't get some shoddy half-ass Spider-Man movie in the middle that ruins that character and doesn't allow us doesn't allow us the opportunity to fold him back into the MCU when necessary. We'll clear away from that. We'll move on to the next sci-fi thing. Who's got a sci-fi thing? I got a bunch of them, John, but I'll just hit you with one so we can keep going. They are apparently doing a Lord of the Rings series on Amazon. Uh, yeah, that's, it's supposed to be like the highest, like the highest dollar amount paid to make a show in a long time. It's their, it's their answer to Game of Thrones. Um, they want... They want to have a show that's going to be the next Game of Thrones. And I think especially at this point in time when the vast majority of people who loved Game of Thrones were pretty disappointed by the end of it. I'm not saying that's universally the case, but I'm saying that it's big enough that it's kind of an internet meme uh, about the, the end of Game of Thrones. It, now they're probably really, you know, champing at the bit thinking we need to get a really big kind of similar show out uh, with lots of money behind it. Big people streaming uh big production values too i think is going to be a huge deal and I, I amazon's just trying to make their foray i mean especially with with disney plus on the horizon uh it shit's going to change in the streaming sphere netflix is kind of on the ropes at this point they are losing subscribers they're losing money and they have all these ongoing projects that they're having trouble paying for because eventually banks are going to stop loaning them money because they're not making any money they've, they've been in the red since they started I want Netflix to stay with the deal that you get from Hulu, Disney Plus, with those two things combined together to make 
something much larger than what Netflix is capable of offering, especially considering Disney owns like every worthwhile IP for the most part. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to see what happens. And I think that Amazon is just trying to cut their piece of the pie out. And they have good stuff on Amazon. Their yeah. interface fucking sucks, but they have some good stuff on there. Well, I'm just impressed with how much some of these streaming services have really taken. They, they've really kind of pivoted what they're doing. I mean, Amazon, you know, a few years ago, you would have never thought of Amazon as a place to go, you know, unless you wanted to buy something on DVD, you know, or yeah. now it's it. They at first when they launched, I thought, OK, that seems gimmicky. They're just trying to compete with Netflix. But now they actually have some of my favorite shows on Amazon and so now I feel this this thing where I'm like if I have to redo my budget I got to keep Amazon Prime I got to keep Hulu you know I have my <laughs> and Netflix at this point honestly doesn't have too much of that that makes me think I would be sad if I didn't have it so I think it's just interesting to see I don't think that they're going to have a problem where it gets to a point where they're going to need to shut down or anything crazy but I do think they're going to need to find a way to pivot and it's probably going to be something that we don't even expect because I feel like that's kind of what disney is doing with disney plus uh, you know or apple coming out with a streaming service they're just taking their business and all this money that they have and going well streaming's big let's see if we can nail it and hopefully if you can throw enough money at enough you know quality directors and talent we'll just have a lot of good new tv um to watch. content that well we i think can. that's a good point to bring up too is that netflix content has gone down yeah like quality Right, because when it first started to come out, the originals were pretty good. Stranger Things was one of the first ones. Orange is the New Black and the House of Cards, those were all like pretty high acclaimed. And now, I mean, it's every other day, it seems like, where there's either some original movie, Adam Sandler's doing something stupid, or some show that no one cares about, and it's like, eh. Oh, and I think that the fact that they, that they were the people who got behind Roma, and Roma won an Academy Award, I think that that's... I think that's going to be a big deal for them later in the line as far as like a place where you can make your obscure movie. But yeah. I also think that there are other places who are going to be more willing to accept doing that now. Well, I think that's the gambit that Netflix is planning to take. That's their pivot uh, potentially is going to be we're just going to get a lot more serious about telling people, hey, the movies that we put out are can, can win awards and be shown in big theaters. And um I know we talked a little bit about this last time I was on with Spielberg's response to that and then him kind of switching over and now he's doing the, is it amazing stories? Yeah. Um, through, through Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Through Apple. Um, I think that they're going to, I know I, I think they got a lot of pushback on this and it's probably, it would probably never happen, but uh, Netflix was looking at purchasing the Chinese theater uh, in LA Whoa. to show specifically their movies so that they would have a better chance at drumming up Oscar buzz. And, of course, people love the Chinese theater. It's yeah. a big part of L.A. People aren't going to like that, I think. But the idea of Netflix popping up their own theaters to show their movies, I think, is probably something we're going to see. If you go to a Netflix theater, is it you and everybody scrolling through for 15 minutes trying to figure out which one you're going to watch? <laughs> hey, 15 minutes is an understatement, my friend. There's one remote and there's there's 300 people in the theater. <laughs> no, I seen it. No, man. Bird Box sucks. <laughs> I, I actually don't know if Bird Box sucks. Um, nobody does, who's been nobody messing with my recommendations? <laughs> Why is the Great British Bake Off on here? <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing. I, I, we're getting off on another tangent. But that's another thing that I think is going to be a big deal for them later on the line is they, they're only losing content at this point. Because 
NBC wants to do their own thing. That means no more office. That means no more Parks and Rec. That means no more Friends. That's a big deal. Those are, I mean, I only turn on Netflix now when I'm rewatching Parks and Rec, pretty much. I feel like Netflix is good for rewatching stuff. And if you want to discover new stuff or current stuff, then you kind of go to Amazon or you kind of go to Hulu. Unless you're watching Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's how I feel about it. Uh, I know that it's not actually this way and my whole TV is equally dusty. But sometimes when I feel when I turn on my Apple TV, the, the Netflix icon is just a little bit dustier than the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been used quite as much. Is that fading? <laughs> is there any sci-fi news that you wanted to share, Anthony? Or um, I mean, we really don't have to go long on this uh, because it's a big subject but d23 happened it was mm -hmm. huge lots of star wars stuff i personally haven't seen the trailer for the mandalorian yet but i have multiple times now watched the new trailer for star wars the oh, Rise really? of skywalker i think the way that i felt coming off of the last jedi has made me less concerned about whether the trailers spoil anything for me i'm a little bit more I'm, ex I'm excited <laughs> but i'm like very yeah i'm very cautious and very concerned which makes me less like oh i can't see any of it yeah um so i watched the trailer and um it, it it looks like lightsabers it looks like there's some big stuff happening but you i watched the trailer from that they just released from recently? d23 yeah would, would you recommend it for people if they are fans or would you recommend waiting I I would say, uh, well, if I'm being 100% honest, I would say it's going to be very, very impossible for you to avoid spoilers from this trailer because the imagery is on every, f unless you're completely off the internet, which some people might be, don't use social media at all, but images from this trailer are all over the place. Meme culture, it's, it's almost impossible to avoid. Really? Uh, but I will say the front half of that trailer is all scenes and sequences from... The previous it's, movies it's a franchise. montage of the previous yeah. all previous six movies from the other two it's one thousand percent just nostalgia baiting but i'm still gonna see it i'm still gonna be there night one i loved the last jedi and i really hope that this pivot isn't something super crazy but i know it's going to be and that's frustrating i guess we'll see i'm sure we'll do an episode on it we kind of have to yeah oh yeah one thousand yeah and that's what i was saying we don't have to get too in depth right now and i know some of us are a, a, have a bit different opinion about watching trailers and for me it really just depends on the movie i, I think one. i think we all pretty much agree that watching trailers is like the worst thing ever yeah I, <laughs> um, I i felt like it didn't really change my excitement all too much i'm still the same level of cautiously optimistic yes about it being exciting and being better than the last one but i guess we'll find out yep and that will wrap it up for news yeah you guys good yeah yep. we're good on news uh sorry for that going a little bit longer than normal <laughs> i think that we've all just been kind of like prepared to talk about things and it's been dude i have a, a list month. of like 12 more things but we won't do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've been prepared to talk about things for so long and i haven't had this outlet <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the trivia trivia here's how we play i ask a question we're gonna do things a little bit differently so we're gonna do a more of a point system instead of playing trivia pursuit for the time being we're gonna do pass the popcorn and john and i were kind of talking about maybe mixing things up even just in the middle of the road, right? Yeah. So maybe we'll do Pass the Popcorn this week. Maybe we'll do Trivia Pursuit next week. 
And if we come across any other games, maybe we'll throw those in too. Just kind of mix it up and keep it fresh. So uh, let us know what you think if you like Pass the Popcorn or not. So this Pass the Popcorn is specifically Thrills and Chills. And how this is going to work, there are four categories per card. And depending on how many clues you get equals how many points you get. So if you get it with only one clue, then you get four points. Two clues, you get three points. Three clues. Three clues, you get... Blues clues. Blues clues, you get Steve. (laughs) And so on and so forth. All right? And then we'll just do kind of a round robin. So are you ready, sir? Yeah, hit me. Okay. This is going to be a 2007 horror movie. Hi. Okay. And the first clue is going to be a quote. And it is, if anyone is out there, I can provide food, I can provide shelter, I can provide security. I am legend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Damn! Fucking four points. (laughs) Starting it off hot. I have a 1986 sci-fi movie. Oh, nice. This is to you, right? Yeah, it's to me. Hit me with that quotes. Your first clue is... Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. <sighs> I'll go ahead and take a second clue. All right. Characters. Jeff Goldblum as scientist Seth Brundle. Journalist Ronnie Quaif. I should have just guessed with when I... I, I, don't, I uh, that's one other uh, caveat as far as this goes. If you guess too early, you don't get any points. The fly. It is the fly. Flies, uh... Find a way. <laughs> but what's going to be cool about that, too, is now that if you pass or you can't get it or you guess wrong, then now that we have another person, we can go to the third person. That's tight, yeah. Uh, 1984 Slasher. Sick. Hit me with that first clue, friend. If Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. Is that a Nightmare on Elm Street? It is a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. All right, back to you, Tony Tone Tone. 1974 slasher. Ooh, okay. Give me that first clue. My family has always been in meat. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love how you guys are getting the ones that are literally tattooed on my skin and I get the fly. (laughs) Yeah, you jinxed yourself. Get a fly tattoo. In our defense, though, you could have got that with the first clue. I could have, but I didn't want to screw myself over there. All right, John. We're looking at a 2000 thriller. 2000 thriller. Your first clue is, in death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. I'm going to back it down to another clue, just to be on the safe side. All right. You got some characters. You got high school students, Alex Browning and Clear Rivers. I don't know why it's not coming to me. Take another clue, bro. Yeah, I'm going to take another clue. A high school boy hears a John Denver song ominously ominously playing in an airport bathroom. (laughs) Final Destination. Yes. Bingo. I'm pretty sure Tony Todd is the one that's like, in death. Yeah, that's why I was trying to do a little bit of like a in death. (laughs) All right, so that's two for you. Yeah. 2001. Shit. Thriller. (laughs) Are you mad? I am your daughter. It's Uh, the others. It is the others. Yes. Yes. Literally the only thing that from that movie that I could have gotten. I am your daughter. Because they parodied it in, what was it, Scary Movie? Michael Jackson. (laughs) 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 all right so that means that you guys both uh cleared your cards tied up for a tie um should you read one that we guess it the fastest knife fight 1983 horror wait what are we doing i'm sorry i I missed (laughs) after he finished it he's got to read the whole quote okay and once he's done 
than whoever guesses it first. Okay. All right, 1983 horror. You couldn't sick that dog on me if I was coming at you with a straight razor in each hand. Cujo. It is Cujo. God damn it. All right, Anthony, you win this week. Well, that's going to be the end of the news and trivia section. If you liked what you heard in those, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And since those segments were a little bit different, uh, we would love some feedback. So if you were into that, if you weren't into that, then let us know so that we can kind of alter and shift things to be more to your likings and we are also definitely not sponsored by spin master games and pass the popcorn but <laughs> if they want to get a hold of me my number is five 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 that's it so then let's go ahead and jump into our main discussion yeah i know this steak doesn't exist i know that when i put it in my mouth the matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious After nine years, you know what I realize? <sighs> Ignorance is bliss. So the last of our two sci-fi shameful misses are going to be E.T. the Extraterrestrial for me, and for John it's going to be District 9. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited to talk about these. Yeah, and just like with everything else that we're doing with the show at this point, we are changing the format of how we do these discussions a little bit rather than it being us kind of doing a retelling of of uh, what took place in those movies. We're going to kind of keep it a little more question-based, a little more off the cuff, and we're going to discuss each other's uh, movies, see how, uh, how we felt about them. So let's go ahead and jump into E.T., so now that you've seen it, does it hold up the same way that it would have if you'd watched it as like a childhood touchstone? Because that's, for me, I watched it when I was very, very young. And it was something that was super integral to my eventual love of sci-fi. I think that's a really good question. And I actually thought about a similar thing when I was watching it. I said to myself, if I would have seen this as a kid, I would have loved it. You know, and it reminded me of the Goonies. Right? Yeah. If you see the Goonies as a kid, you're like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. I want to go find some treasure now. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and so watching it, I was I was thinking, yeah, this would have been dope. It was, would have been a great time. It would have been fun. That being said, I still think it holds up. I just think that I would have liked it more from a nostalgia point of view at, at this age, I guess. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I think... I'm coming to both of these movies that you guys are talking about from the perspective of someone who hasn't seen either in in many years. I think I've seen District 9 a couple times, but it's been quite a while. And E.T. I haven't seen, I think, since I was a child. And for me, I remember thinking it was all right. For me, E.T. was more just the imagery of E.T. It wasn't even the movie. I mean, the Amblin logo for Spielberg's company is the the moonshot on the bike from E.T. So really, I think a lot of that movie comes down to nostalgia for a lot of people. So it's, a, it's an interesting perspective to be coming from to as someone who had never seen it, just kind of coming in and as if E.T. just came out and what your reaction is. Right, yeah. And it just made me really eager to play the video game. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's take a trip to the desert. <laughs> oh, there's. I'm sure there's one there. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that shit hurts. Hurts but on a deep level. What I really enjoy, too, is just seeing the difference in filmmaking now. Mm-hmm. Because it's... So it's slow. Like the movie, not a lot happens. You know, it's just kind of telling you the story. And it reminded me a lot of Close Encounters, which I think is an easy comparison, all things considered. And I was like, like, where's this going? And But I was fine with it because, you know, how the horror genre has kind of been lately where we get these like slower storytellings. 
and this was a lot like that. It wasn't event driven. It was like, okay, this is the setup for this movie, and this is just what's going on. But the way that Spielberg made it, I was into it the whole time. Same like I was when we talked about Close Encounters. Yeah, not a lot's happening, but I'm stuck to the TV. And I was like, whoa, this is this is crazy cool for me to be focused on something so intently. And also, the movie still looks really good. I don't know what transfer it was I was watching. Sure, the CGI stuff doesn't hold up very well, but all the practical effects, I mean, they just don't age. It, and Tencent. it still looks amazing. That's Tencent again. I mean, and on top of that, just practical effects, they just age so well. And I love what you were saying about especially being someone who before we went through this whole process and before we started really digging in on these shameful misses, a person who hadn't really seen and like a massive chunk of Spielberg's library. Like I love like hearing you appreciate these movies for what they are. And that's because he's a great storyteller. Yeah. And Anthony and I watched a video about Jurassic Park the other day. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great video. And just the shit that he does with the camera and even compared it to the newer one and what it does wrong in comparison. Mm -hmm. It was just amazing. And I was trying to kind of see if he was doing stuff like that. Like, from E.T.'s perspective, looking up to the kids and, and, you know, kind of getting that idea of how he's framing these movies. And it was it was just great to see just a master craftsman at work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's really what it is. And I think a lot of people kind of take that for granted a little bit these days because his movies do feel very standard Hollywood in the way that they're made because he set that standard. Yeah. He set the standard for how to make those movies. And so you have these newer you know hipper artists who are coming in and they're maybe trying to emulate spielberg or, or kind of jj abrams yeah exactly jj <laughs> abrams you know absolutely and you know or you get lots of spielberg vibes and stranger things you know and and that's people looking up to a guy who knows what the hell he's doing and ha- had to work his ass off to get there too you think about the making of his older movies you think about jaws you everybody talks about the stories of the things that he had to work around you know so it, he he doesn't i'm sure it, it might come easy to him but it's a lot of work too and it's it's great to see it makes me want to go back and rewatch more of his movies that i haven't seen i haven't seen close encounters since i was young i remember i got it on vhs i think at a thrift store and i threw it in and i was bored out of my goddamn mind <laughs> um and et i think bored me too when i was a kid and that's just it's because i need to go back and revisit with more patience and more of a willingness to get absorbed into this into the story and really appreciate those things like practical effects or framing that as a kid would have just been completely I just sat down and watched both of those recently uh, for the show and everything. Um, I would definitely like do it again. Like I said, I he's a like you said he's a master craftsman, master strokes everywhere. And I think that the biggest thing that I pull away from watching a lot of these movies that are older that that are from these big name directors and are considered to be classics is you see their influences. You remember things that you saw in other films, and you're like, oh shit, that's where that concept comes from. That's the touchstone. That's where it all leads back to. And it's it's something that's incredible in a genre like this because you don't really get that same thing from a lot of other mediums. Music, yeah, you get that a lot from that. Maybe comics, but like art itself, like actual like paintings, writing necessarily, you don't get a whole lot of like, oh, this concept wouldn't exist um, if it wasn't for this one thing that did it first. And you get a little of that, but I mean, it all kind of branches and it all moves through different movements rather than it being like, oh, there are still things coming out in 2019 that reference things from when E.T. came out. Well, I, I think those things definitely do exist 
for art and they do exist for writing as well. I just think that one, they're probably easier to pick up on if it's visual. Mm-hmm. If you see something and you've seen it before, I think you're probably going to connect with it and, and you, that memory will be drawn up. The more background you get to any movie, I feel like, uh, that is well made, just more enriching it gets to rewatch it. it I was just telling you, Anthony, uh, after we watched that Jurassic Park uh, video about the framing and all that, it made me want to go back and rewatch Jurassic Park, even though I've seen that movie more times than I could possibly count and probably know it like the back of my hand, it made me want to go back specifically because I felt like it would be a new experience to go back and rewatch it with the framing specifically in mind. Um, just like with E.T., I mean, you can't you can't really talk about most Spielberg movies without talking about John Williams. And, right. <laughs> yeah, and they there is that video that everybody references online where I, I wish I had knew the, the creator's name of the video, but he took the John Williams score out of the scene where you know, E.T. is getting into his spaceship Mm -hmm. and it's super awkward and it's just the sounds of crickets chirping and his walking up the little metal thing, chung, 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 chung up on on the (laughs) ship. And then, you know, and you're thinking, what is this? And, but then you put in that John Williams score and suddenly you're crying till dehydration, you know, like there's this emotion that's built up by the music. And that's obviously the case in, in, the majority of Spielberg's movies, George Lucas's movies using. Well, I think someone did that to one of the scenes from star Wars too, where they're getting like the medals. Mm-hmm. They took out all the music and it was so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. It was like, you almost want to start doing the music like out loud to <laughs> yeah. make yourself more un- <laughs> like less uncomfortable about it. <laughs> but it's burned into my brain. And that was actually going to be my next question for you is going to be, uh, how did you feel? basically coming into this movie after so long not having not seen it uh, about the music and the way that the score influences the film. I started noticing at first I didn't really notice it when it was a little bit more subtle, but once you get into those grander moments and you, that's like, it's almost the focus of the movie at that point. Right. Yeah. And it aids in the emotion. So I, I noticed it um, quite a bit, especially toward the end when more stuff was happening and I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like John Williams. And then I was like, this sounds familiar. So I don't know if it was because I've seen so much of his work or heard so much of his work or if it was just because I'm having like flashbacks from the bits and pieces I've seen of E.T. as a kid. But I was I was very aware of it. It didn't I don't know if it really changed too much. I think like Anthony was saying, it heightens that last scene. Mm -hmm, Definitely. But I was just so sucked in and pulled in that I wasn't really trying to pick too many pieces apart at this point. Well, I think that's what a good score like and what John Williams does pretty well is he. He adds pretty a, well. He add, pretty well, yeah. I know. The best in the business. Yeah, I'll fight him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it. he does. He makes a score where it adds so much to the movie but doesn't rip you out of the movie. You're not constantly thinking, like, that the score is distracting or that it's overpowering the movie. But without it, the movie would be completely lost. It's a perfect compliment. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if you've heard music from E.T., just at, at Universal Studios. Yeah. I hear it all the time when we're and I know you and I have been there together, so you know, you are walking around <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that's E. T. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss that specifically in another episode. One thing that I wanna <laughs> um bring up and you kinda mentioned it and you definitely touched on it, was how much watching this, I was like, Oh, this is Stranger Things. Like mm-hmm. Stranger Things just took E. T. and the thing and, and, goonies. and fucked them. And goonies. <laughs> and goonies. Don't forget goonies. Fucking <laughs> Right, but even the opening scene is after the aliens get the plants and E.T. gets ah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those vivid descriptions <laughs> for the listener. <laughs> oh, shit. That's what he does. 
And that goes to the kid's house, and they're sitting around the table playing games. And one of them has like headbands, looks like Lucas. Mm-hmm. And then one of them has like a trucker hat. Like, okay, there's Dustin. One of them was kind of goofy looking. I was like, all right, there's Will. I was like, man. And even I think one of them's actually name was Mike. And so I was like, super uncommon name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but still, you know what I mean. Like, I'm sure that there was a lot of references to that when he goes outside in the very beginning, and he like he goes outside to take the trash out. That scene, like that's the scene that I instantly think of to get the pizza. Yeah. Okay. When he when he walks outside in the dark. Yeah. Um, that's the scene that I think of every time I see basically the first scene from Stranger Things, where he goes out to the shed to oh, run yeah. away from yeah. the Gorgon. Absolutely. That's yeah. the, it, it reminds me of that scene every single time. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But there was a lot at the beginning before I really got sucked in where I was like, Stranger Things, Stranger Things, Stranger Things, Stranger Things, Stranger Things. I was like, damn, they kind of they ripped this movie off. <laughs> or played heavy homage, I guess. Yes. Did you fall in love with E.T.? How sexy did you find <laughs> the little nut sack? E.T. the extraterrestrial. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not fall in love with him, I don't think. But I was really into him getting drunk and feeling the connection with Elliot. Mm-hmm. And then Elliot being drunk. And like, we gotta free the frogs! <laughs> I was like, dude, that's fucking hilarious. Super clever way to get a kid drunk in a movie without getting in trouble. <laughs> it's alien magic. <laughs> Did we ever understand why they were connected? Um, Just an E.T. thing? I think, well, obviously it's part of his, like, his weird alienness. But also I think that he was more easily able to connect to Elliot because Elliot was so invested and because he was so open to the concept of being like just like oh yeah you're another thing i should show you respect and love and i think that because he was a kid and because he had that open mind and open heart he was more easily to easily able to accept et for what he is do we know if that's something that they can do with anybody like hey i want to connect with you let's do it I don't think I don't think we know that. There I think, has to be like some kind of. I mean, I know it, it, this actually reminds me a lot again of Stranger Things, where you know, watching the newer seasons, where uh, where Mike and Elle are it, it romantically involved. I you know that wouldn't their connection would not have been that way if it wasn't for when he found her. It's basically just like he connects with her like she's ET. Yeah, they connect on that level of he has empathy for her. He wants to help her. She needs that connection because she's been hasn't had that from anybody. So they just click like that, and and they have that bond that it can't be replaced anywhere. You know, with any other pairing. Yeah. That's why they work together is because they have that experience of like, hey, we found each other, basically. Yeah, popular uh, rap supergroup, uh, Run the Jewels, Mike and L. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good reference. <laughs> I mean, overall, I'd say I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that, again, the visuals looked really good, and it was a fun time. Some of the CG was a little bit outdated with, like, the floating clay balls and then the, the green screen over the force and all that kind of stuff. But it was pretty fun. Yeah. So if you had to rate it out of five uh, flying bicycles with babushka-style wrapped-up aliens in them, <laughs> wrapped-up little nutsacks. I would say probably four and a half for me. I think uh, – Okay. I think if I would have watched it as a kid like you guys did and really remembered it and been invested in it, then I would have loved it so much more. And it would have been a part of my childhood like the Goonies was. So. Well, you're going to have so much more backstory now when you go rewatch uh, the Star Wars prequel trilogy because 
<laughs> E.T.'s e. alien species does make a cameo in, 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 Attack, the, of the clones. in, in Attack of the Clones uh, in the Senate. That's right. Oh. There was they're all, like, stuff. jumping super weird. I think there was even references to Star Wars in this. Uh, Yes. I mean, they're they're best friends. They're gonna right. they reference each other's movies all the time. Well, a little bit of trivia that I've always loved is that the voice actress who voices E.T. is uh, Pat Welsh. She was actually discovered by George Lucas. He says, I mean, this could be a, a story that's maybe not one hundred percent true, but he said that he found her in his laundromat and thought that as a chain smoker, she had a very interesting kind of ambiguous voice. So he, they, she just phoned in her lines to play E.T. And she just had a very gravelly voice. And Hell yeah, I guess, you know, since George and Steve were on that uh, first name basis now, are, are so close, they were, they just shared. They're like, hey, I found this chick with a weird voice. You want to use that for your alien? <laughs> That's tight. Yeah. That's a nice little nice little uh, nugget of trivia there in there. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm glad that you, kind of, you got to put a lot of your Spielberg babies to rest uh, in this uh, first run of Shameful Misses. Yeah, I didn't realize how much Spielberg I hadn't seen. The last thing I want to say before we move into District 9 is that I would be interested to watch something like Super 8, which obviously I could tell before that this was very Spielberg influenced, mm-hmm. but now seeing more of his work to see if I would still love Super 8 as much as I did when I originally watched it, or if I would think it was like... Or if you're like, oh, E.T. did it better. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So let's go ahead and move to District 9. It isn't something where the message has been diminished at all. Message hasn't been diminished. I feel like some of the the CG effects were a little dated, really? like just a smidge. The practical effects, though, oh my god, they are incredible. And we were texting about some of these while I was watching it, and I uh, our little discussion about how there was like these like moments of like almost like Cronenberg style body horror in it. I thought that was. Out of left field, not what I expected from this movie. I, this movie did nothing but shirk my expectations at every turn. I mean, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into because it is advertised as this big alien, like drama, sci-fi experience, right? And you're like, okay. And typically, when we get these alien invasion movies, it's more of an invasion, yeah, right. And this one, it's almost a problem, right? And so when you get these movies that do something different, like with this or like with Arrival where they kind of tweak your expectations of what an alien invasion movie is going to be like, it makes for an interesting watch. Close Encounters. Right. Right. You had no idea what that was going to be like. And that was, hey, we're friendly. Let's play them some music. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I just think it's it's it blew a lot of people's minds, and I'm not saying that it's not at all impressive, because that District 9 did a really great job of taking what now I think seems like a really simple idea, which is that extraterrestrials, aliens are good stand-ins for any oppressed or different group that actually exists in our world. That we actually call aliens. That we, yes, exactly. (laughs) And and it's the same with, you know, the the X-Men, mutants, you know. You you take these characters and you can have them be stand-ins for a bunch of different, because the X-Men originally were uh, about... uh, Marginalized group, yeah. Marginalized groups and, you know, and and with segregation and everything. and Mm -hmm. And then now with gender and with sexuality and everything, I think that... With Aliens in District 9, it was a really good call that I think that Blomkamp has tried to repeat less successfully, which I guess we can get more into if we feel like that. But in that movie, it was such a simple concept and so surprising. I think really the main thing that you're you're missing out on seeing it now is that it had a little bit of maybe like a Cloverfield-esque 
marketing campaign in that it wasn't it doesn't tell you the trailers really didn't show too much about what the story was going to be about uh and the viral marketing of just having the the alien silhouettes on the gun range type mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. the poster was that having those pop up in different places kind of built up like okay what is this movie going to be and then when you see it i feel i felt like for me I was pretty freaked out when it, I realized that it was going to be about a character who's going through this transformation and that there is some scary stuff happening to his body that always gets pun intended under my skin. Yeah. So <laughs> it, yeah, it, that I think surprised me and that always stuck with me. And that's why I asked you about it after you had finished the movie was about the body horror, about the transformation stuff. I remember when this came out, I was still working at the theater and people just did not watch it. And if they did watch it, a lot of the crowd was very, divisive i think uh, a lot of that as someone who has now seen it and who went going into it completely blind didn't really know anything other than that it was about aliens and humans coexisting it was something that going in blind i didn't understand what it was really going to be like and the fact that it's basically set up as kind of like a documentary and you have these experts who keep chiming in and everything it's something that that it catches you off guard, but I don't think as somebody who, like we had a discussion about earlier, enjoys a headier film, a more like a like a film that you can look at with a more critical eye. I really enjoyed that concept, and I thought that it was super original for that genre, just out of left field. Something that that I think that is part of what is lacking in his the rest of his works. If you look at Chappie, if you look at Elysium. They don't have that same type of feel to it. It's more about telling this story that's pretty much the same thing, where you have something that stands in for some, you know, for a marginalized group or person. Right, and I think Elysium was a little bit more on the nose with it, right? Like the elite versus the the poor, and that one was pretty blatant. Did you feel that the social commentary presented in District Nine helped the movie or hindered the movie? It helped, definitely. And I think that it was done in the right ways and was done in a subtle enough way right. that it was not only helpful to the movie, but helpful to the message. And it wasn't something where you're being beaten over the head with it at every turn. And I think the fact that that it takes somebody who is is perfectly comfortable with their with their place in life and with their prejudices and with their privileges and takes that person and shows them why they're wrong. They have to go through that journey throughout the movie. There are a lot of times where I was really upset with Vickers. I think that that's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to, in some ways, you're supposed to root for him, but in some ways you're supposed to admonish him and want him to do the right thing. And when he finally turns around and does the right thing, it only impacts that message more. I mean, and you even go down to what they show towards like when they start to get towards the credits where like he's fully transformed and he is a prawn now and where he, <laughs> whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's he racist. He's a kind of language. <laughs> it's cool. I'm an alien. <laughs> uh, but like him, like making the, making the rose out of trash. Like, how I, did you feel about that? I loved that ending. It's kind of fucked up. It, it's very fucked up. And I, you know me, I'm not one to shy away from an ending that, that is happy in some way, but is like shitty in another. Right. Uh, I think that it leaves it a little more ambiguous because you don't know where things are going to go from there. I mean, you don't know if they even survived their trip back to their home planet to go get supplies and stuff to come back and pick everybody else up. You don't know if they survived. You don't know if they got taken along the way or if 
they didn't have enough food on board and they starved or, you know, it's, it's tough to say one way or the other. I mean, he was even, you know, kind of beaten up and a little worse for wear. So right. at that point you're leaving this entire huge ship and this entire mission that's meant to save all these people to a small child, a smart, small child, nonetheless, <laughs> but a small child. Oh, it's the sweetie man. <laughs> well, I, I think I think that's the way that the movie tricks you. It's a character study. It's a character drama, mm-hmm. and it tricks you. You you might think that it's about the bigger things that are happening in the plot, but in the end, the thing that hits you is that image of him making the rose, and you realize that you haven't been as much invested in all of the bigger. Is this going to change the way the planet works? Like, is this going to affect the world? It's in the end, it's just about how it affected him. It's how all of this stuff, it's all focused onto this one character and how it changed his entire life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can wonder about the other things, but they're left open so that they're not the main focal point at the end. You're there with the character who's gone through this change physically and mentally and emotionally. And that's more what I assume they wanted to leave you with at the end. I think that's kind of how they kind of flip the script on you a little bit from what you were expecting, maybe from trailers or just going in. And I think it's a movie that definitely I want to rewatch largely because like our current social climate, I feel like is even closer to what's going on in a lot of ways in that movie. It's maybe even more relevant. So I feel like it's really not a huge loss for people who ha- didn't see it maybe a few years ago because it's still going to, it's still going to matter. Yeah, it just, and maybe even just, more now. Just than it did plug in a few years ago, plug in XYZ marginalized group. I mean, if you look at, if you look at what it's initially was supposed to be about, which would have been apartheid because it is set in, in South Africa, it's mm-hmm. meant to do that, but it plugs in just fine when you're talking about people from Mexico yeah, absolutely. being considered second class citizens, even though we all bleed the same blood, you know, I think too. And I was just thinking about that when you brought up the rose that, it would be interesting to watch this movie through the lens of somebody who is transgender or somebody like the the Wachowskis that have gone through these changes, right? Because you have a person who is in one body and then slowly feels like they're losing their skin and becoming something else and then eventually becomes that other thing. And then at the end, it's like, well, hey, I'm still me. I still have my memories. I'm still the same thing. I just look different on the outside. Yeah. And so I feel like that could probably be an overlay on this movie as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a super good point. And it may not be something that was necessarily an intention at that moment right. in time. Uh, climates are different, you know, now as compared to then. But if, like I said, if the lens fits, might as well look through it. Out of uh, five prawns. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay when I say it. How many would you give it? I'm going to say uh, four and a half. Like I said, I felt like the story was fresh and engaging. I felt like it was well acted and I really enjoyed what they were able to accomplish with not a super crazy budget. And like I said, with just a kind of a different mindset going into something like sci-fi, it wasn't perfect. Like I said, there were a couple moments where, where things were paced out really weird. And there were like, so obviously decisions that the character of Vickers made that were upsetting from, from the vantage point of somebody who's like, just fucking do the right thing, goddammit. But I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad that I saw it. I'm mad that I waited so long. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad that I did it. I guess my final question would be, what does an alien have to do to get a five-star review or a five, uh, full five stars? Because you think <laughs> both of your movies got 4.5, right? Yes. <laughs> classic and a modern classic. So yeah, there are definitely uh, there are definitely things that have gotten fives uh, from us, for sure. Probably alien. Oh, 1,000%. The thing that's a fiver. Yeah, so it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a six. Those are those are both. That's a six out of one. Crossovers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. 
so part two of our main event for this episode, and I know this is going on very long, uh, so we'll try to get through it as quickly as possible without as many oohs and ahs and all that all that uh, business. We're going to go ahead and we're going to drop three more shameful misses. So I'll go ahead and start. I believe you started with both of our lists last time, so I'll start this time. This one I don't know if I really have an excuse for. It's just something that, that I never got an opportunity to see. Uh, and it's a little off the beaten path as far as comparing it to everything else that I've given on my missed lists because it's animated. I've never seen The Iron Giant. Oh, whoa. That is shocking. That is, uh, frankly, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. I know how much you love animation, and it's, yeah, I, I can't get too much into it. I can't berate you, but. <laughs> and that's some of like the best animation that's I'm, out there. I'm aware. <laughs> I just never got an opportunity to do it, and I want to. I yeah. want to put it on wax so that way I have to. I'm, I feel like it came out at a weird time where you might have been a little bit too old. That's a possibility. To watch that. It, I mean, we can definitely check the date, but I, for me, it, I feel like it was toward the end of the kind of renaissance of Disney animation when stuff was still hand drawn. It kind of just popped out of nowhere and ended mm-hmm. up being really good. Honestly, I'm just more excited for you to watch that movie because I haven't seen it in a long time. But that movie. It really, really gets me every time I watch it, and so... I'm prepared to cry. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One for me is going to be Forbidden Planet. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it's like a classic sci-fi movie. And I'm pretty sure it has Leslie Nielsen in it before Mm. he was... Before he was a goof. Goofy, yeah. Yeah. He was still doing serious I think I know what you're talking about. I I haven't seen it either. Uh, For me, it's just I don't know how ashamed I feel about it. I mean, I'm not like, oh man, but I feel like if you're someone who is in the sci-fi community, like that's that's an old school one that people go to. Somebody actually told me about this movie when I was a kid, and I used to go to Best Buy and just stand in the movie section. I don't know if you guys ever oh, did yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, what? absolutely. What? What's this movie? What's this movie? Was, ne- I was, like, was never Best Planet. Was never Best Buy, uh, but it was definitely always Hollywood Video. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I just stand there and stare at shit <sighs> for hours. Should we all just take a deep sigh together? Just. <sighs> Right? That's how I learned about um, Jack Frost, the one without Michael Keaton. Ah, <laughs> ah, okay, bud. For my first one, I decided to go with one that is very beloved, and it's been recommended to me a million times, and I've really always had zero interest in watching it. The Fifth Element. Oh, wow. This is going to be when the, what this episode, when it, when it releases, the one where you watch The Fifth Element, it is going to be the most divisive episode of our show that is ever released, ever, ever, ever. Are you not a fan? I cannot stand The Fifth Element. <laughs> nice. Okay, I'm glad I picked this one. So I see it, your steelbook of it, every time I come over and I think, man, I really should get around to watching The Fifth Element. I've had plenty of opportunities. I just don't personally like the people that are in that movie. Like, I don't go out of my way to, like, yes, there. I like movies that have Bruce Willis in them. I like movies that have Mila Jovovich in them. I don't really give a shit about either of them together in that movie. That doesn't just scream like charisma to me or something that I really just need to see. And as a kid, I think, or, you know, a younger person, it just always seemed too weird to me. It just seemed like it was some weird offshoot Star Wars cantina scene, but like for an entire movie. (laughs) We're getting too far into this. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, I I think it's. This is going to be an interesting discussion. It'll be an interesting discussion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if I even stick around for it. (laughs) (laughs) I I 1000% understand that I'm wrong, but I'm going to keep, but I'm going to go on and keep being wrong. (laughs) I think that's pretty 
consistent that you either love it or you hate it. I yeah. don't think there's an in-between for most It's the people. classic uh, Blade Runner situation. Yeah. All right, John, what's your number two? All right, my number two um, is... And who does it work for? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> number one, I'm number two. Um, so this is one that is something that should be right up my alley. And I, I this is one that I think I saw the first five minutes and I was into something else at the time or something like that. And I got engrossed in something else and didn't end up watching it. Attack the block. Oh, oh. I, I've never seen that either. But for me, that's one of the ones where I don't think I would feel shame. I don't feel shameful about it. You should. But I've heard it's good. You both should. You've seen it? I've seen it a hundred times probably. And it's not really a hundred times, but it was my introduction to John Boyega. And now he's, he's huge. That was something that got me really excited when the force awakens was coming out because he was in attack the block. Oh, and, okay. and it's probably you know, not to get too ahead of myself, but one of my favorite sci-fi comedies. And that's, like I said, I that's think... too far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to see it. It checks all the boxes based on the imagery, based on the way that the effects are done, based on the fact that it has great actors and it's, like, its subject matter is something that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just it's something I never got around to finishing. My number two... So this one's pretty shameful for me and I've tried and I've just never been able to do it. I have not seen the War of the Worlds. And okay, I heard that it's pretty good. Now, are we talking are we talking OG? Or are we talking Tom Cruise? Wasn't the original like a radio show? Like they have an old movie. I there's an old movie too. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I I can't say that I know too much about anything outside of the Tom Cruise. Right. And that was Spielberg too, right? Wasn't that? Pretty sure. Yeah. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. It's another one that that is a little like if you're if we're specifically honing in on the Tom Cruise version. It is a little divisive, but I think that's mostly just because Tom Cruise is in it. I mean, and he can be, uh, at that time frame, that would have been prime time Scientology bullshit time frame. Before everybody loved him again, he started doing crazy shit. Exactly. <laughs> For my number two, this is one that I know is going to piss off one of you. I don't know if, if it'll piss off both of you, but I was trying to think of movies that I have absolutely no memory of actually having seen the original Planet of the Apes. Okay. I can't honestly say that I have seen any of the old, like any of the Planet of the Apes movies prior to the new franchise. And that's partially, I think, because they're so ubiquitous now that I basically know the entire movie, or I feel like I do, but I don't feel like that's an excuse not to watch it. So it's something that I'm excited to check out, even if I feel like I know what the entire plot is. Um, and I know, obviously, Anthony, you're a huge Planet of the Apes fan, so... <laughs> well, and the discussion we were having earlier about it, about things being like a cultural touchstone and th being where you can, like, the source of where you can take a bunch of influences that are far reaching into that genre and other genres that come back to that moment. That is one of those movies that has a shitload of those mo moments. I am I'm very shocked to hear that, and I will be looking forward to seeing your thoughts. I don't feel like it's a movie that you're going to be like, whoa. I but think I, I, think, I think there's that, going to be some of it that will be. But I think like what John was saying, you're going to be like, okay, that's where that came from. Yeah. And you'll get to see yeah. Kind of I'm excited about it. That. Yeah. It's definitely something that I'm eager to watch. All right, John, you're big number one. Like with District 9, I had no excuse not to watch this. I enjoy this director very much. And I love how they they tell a story and then they're okay walking away and leaving questions. It's something where it wasn't something super wide-reaching, but was definitely widely acclaimed. A very recent movie. So it's something that I should have seen. Like I said, it checks all the boxes as to something that, hey, John Brasher should have seen this. John Brasher would love this. The suspense is killing me, dude. <laughs> yeah, Ex Machina. 
Oh. I knew that's what you were going to say. As soon as you said that it was not widespread, like widespread, but it was critically acclaimed. I was like, oh, he's talking about Ex Machina. The, from what I can see, the art style looks beautiful. The effects are done great. I love Alex Garland. It's a mistake, and I'm going to correct it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's really not much I can say beyond I know you're going to love it. And when we discuss it, I will have <laughs> some interesting little tidbits to share uh, because I've watched some videos on on some of the challenges of the special effects in that movie and why they're as great as they are um, that I'll, that we'll get, we can get into once you've seen it and you've really been able to appreciate that. Also, Oscar Isaac dancing around in one scene is pretty iconic. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I uh, I think we saw it together, right? I believe so, yeah. And then we had differing opinions about it. Yeah, I, I think so. wasn't as big a fan as you were. Yeah, and I was pretty in love with it, I think, from the first time that I saw it. So I need to probably rewatch it. How did you feel about um, Annihilation? I liked Annihilation, but Annihilation was a lot more horror-based. This is very true, but you and I walked out of that movie and were like, fuck yeah, that movie was dope. Contender for best movie of the year type of shit. I think I had a hard time with it because I wanted it to be another Arrival, and I love Arrival. I'm more. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody that listens to the show probably is. And so I was kind of hoping it was going to be a little bit more like that. But I don't know. I I mean, I like Annihilation a lot. I own all the books now. Mm. I just haven't read them yet. So nice. Because you read the first one, right? We we were reading them together. I, I finished the first book. Um, and it's interesting the little the little places it turned away from like the movie turned away from the subject matter to make it almost something that left more open ends and more questions at the end. Yeah, it was extremely open ended for me because I only got probably about halfway through the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing's a mystery to me. All right, uh, but let's move on. What's your number one? All right, my number one, and this one might be a surprise to you guys too. Um, all things considered. This, again, comes from another director that I enjoy a lot, and I've seen most of his movies, and when he made this one, he was still making good movies, so um, he's not doing that so much anymore, but I have never seen Mars Attacks. What? Neither have I. (laughs) So I guess that's something that I will be watching as well. (laughs) I've seen bits and pieces. I think it was on pay-per-view when I was a kid. I will say. Caught pieces, but I've never actually watched that movie. It's goofy as fuck, right. but in the best way. We'll see. And I've seen most of Tim Burton's movies, I think, outside of Dumbo. I own, I own, I think, the two of his movies that I haven't seen. Um, they were some of the first Blu-rays I bought, which is Pee-wee's and Mars Attacks. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I own them, so I really think, you know, I should pop it in and watch it if you're going to be watching it, too. Yeah. I want to go on that journey with you guys. We'll, we'll have to get together and watch together. <laughs> okay. So for my last one, I actually did a little bit of a pivot. Um just now in my head uh, about what I decided I wanted was more egregious. I was going to originally say total recall. Okay. The original, obviously Uh, I haven't seen either, but I was going to say total recall because it's a movie that I don't really recall having any knowledge of or what it's about or what's, you know, what, what really the plot is or anything. Um, I know it has something to do with memory and Arnold. Best part of the movie. Yeah. Three titties. <laughs> uh, yes, I know about the three titties. But I decided that something that might be a little bit more fun and something that I've I've been meaning to watch for a long time is I want to watch The Wrath of Khan. I've never seen... All right. I've never seen The Wrath of Khan, and I'm not saying that I want to go into watching all of the Star Trek movies. That's because, a mistake. Because I understand that's a mistake, and that's I've heard enough about them. But I do feel like The Wrath of Khan is 
almost universally, not even not even by Star Trek fans, kind of agreed upon as being a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've seen it basically retold in other, you know, in other versions. Abrams yeah. tried to get all sneaky with that and do that with us um, with one of his Star Trek movies. I've I've never seen it though, and uh, I know so, obviously some of the iconic moments, but I really want to go in and and I like Star Trek. I, I'm not someone who really has devoted any sort of time besides watching next gen when i was a kid mm-hmm. but it is something that i would love to go check out and see if it's something that i would that i enjoy yeah and i think that you'll you'll gain a different appreciation for uh star trek into darkness uh from watching that film just because it does reference wrath of khan quite a bit yeah because obviously it uses the same character just in kind of a different light in a different way uh they definitely make khan a more relatable character in into darkness than he is in in a uh, wrath of khan but yeah what's that guy's name khan yeah what's that guy's khan uh yeah i don't think i've ever seen any star trek movie outside of the newer ones so and i've seen all three of those i i was when i was younger i was always very like i'm into star wars and mm-hmm. now i'm just like i don't really give a shit if i think i don't care i'm um, a star wars nerd bitch yeah and I, it wasn't even really a star wars nerd. i just wanted to be part of the debate yeah you know <laughs> I just wanted to be involved. Yeah. All right. So there's a little sigh of relief and a little catharsis in releasing these things into the wild. And I can't wait to fully finish those off and watch them. So that way I can say that I did it and to gain a better understanding of the genre. I think that this has been a a good start as far as getting, getting back into the swing of things for season two. Uh, Let's go ahead and hop into our watch list. What is it? Where are you going? I've got to return some video tapes. Um, okay, so for me, this is going to be kind of silly, but I'm going to recommend Teen Titans go to the movies. I mean, that's sci-fi enough. I watched it today, and it's pretty funny. And if you are an adult who watches a lot of the Marvel or the DC stuff, there's so many references to that kind of shit. I, I just want to see the Snyder Cut. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's three hours of just... <laughs> But it's CG. <laughs> oh, shit. That sounds about right. But yeah, for me, I would suggest to go check out Ready or Not before it leaves theaters. Um, I went and saw it over the course of the last couple of days, and I had a good time with that movie. It's not perfect, and it is fairly referential and um, done-before type stuff, but it takes kind of its own spin. It allows the characters to kind of breathe and do their own things. And while I said that while there are issues with some of those characters and some of their motivations, it's still... A whole lot of fun, some really gruesome moments, some really funny moments, and I feel like it worked really well. Definitely something I would recommend checking out. Yeah, and then for my recommendation, I'm going to go ahead and go for uh, the show that I'm currently hooked on, which is Mindhunter. I, I had mentioned it earlier. That's a show where I felt like it was a shameful miss. Mm-hmm. It was something where there was absolutely no reason for me not to get through that first season. It was... David Fincher, my favorite director. Right. You know, it was a subject that I'm very, very fascinated uh, with, which is, you know, the serial killers and the psychology and the criminal profiling. It's the reason I loved watching Criminal Minds, you know, on <laughs> back in the day. Definitely a lot less tame than Criminal Minds. It's a show where it basically just takes the scene from Zodiac, where they interview the suspect from that they think is the Zodiac killer. It just takes that idea and expands it into an entire show. 
and you have these long conversations where it's really just a lot of it is just 45 minutes of guys in suits sitting around talking to each other and you will be more scared than you would be watching most things um, because the acting is amazing. Every, the, the way they build tension is perfect. It's all styled, even if it's direct, directed by different people. It's all styled in that Fincher like yellow. yellow and those. <laughs> yeah, it has a lot of his DNA going through it. Um, but yeah, I, I just recently started season two. Um, and that's gotten even higher praise than season one. Uh, but I, season one, I had to take a little bit of a break before I could start season two because it really got me tense into a place where I, I was like, I need to uh, take some time to absorb that. So I would recommend anybody who wants to jump in, get through that first little bit longer extended episode. That one's about an hour. They tend to be around 45 to 50 minutes after that. Get through that first episode and get to when they start doing the interviews and things. And I think you'll be hooked within at least a couple episodes if you're not right away yeah that'll be good because we've done episodes where we talked about serial killers and so i think you having a little bit more knowledge because they explore real people right yeah, yeah. And that's the thing i didn't know going into it the first time is that uh, the majority of the people that they interview are actors portraying serial killers that existed in real life edmund kemper is the big right. killer that they the co-ed killer kemper we, is one of the ones that it's on our uh, uh little behind the curtain Kemper is on the list of people that we will eventually be talking about in that, in that type of a segment, you know, where yeah. we're talking about killers that influence the genre. Yeah. And I um, think the, the second season also is, is I haven't gotten to this point yet, but it's, it's supposed to be focused more on Manson. It has Manson is going to be in the second season whoa. played by the same actor who played him in once upon a time in Hollywood. Really? Nice. Which I think is a really interesting connection, especially with the, unfortunately it being the anniversary you know this anniversary this for the the murders of sharon tate and her friends you know it it all this manson stuff coming out it's interesting to see that they've almost created a little strange connection there yeah uh, between fincher and tarantino that's uh, one thing i will say with the uh um with some of the things that i've seen coming out of that show because i haven't watched it it's definitely something that's on my list to watch uh is the images I've seen of side-by-sides of the actual killers and the people who are playing them, the makeup and the effects that are done on those actors are incredible. They look just like the killers in almost every instance. Yeah, wow. it's top-notch stuff. It's it's definitely very, very interesting. Um, if you're at all interested in period pieces or the invention of the idea behind studying serial killers, I know everybody's into their my favorite murder or whatever. And those, those kind of podcasts last podcast on the left. Uh, yeah, exactly. That they would be, I think those kind of people are going to be right. It's gonna be right up their alley. So check those out and let us know what you think if they were shitty recommendations or not. <laughs> well, that being said, a little preview of what's to come for the rest of September. We're going to talk about sci-fi comedies. We've done horror comedies. And so we want to kind of talk about sci-fi comedies as well. Um, another thing we're going to do this month is real life encounters, alien stories that we can dredge up from the internet, maybe about Area <laughs> 51 or something. Then we're also going to try to tackle Ad Astra because that's coming out this month. On next week's episode, we're going to go into other mediums. So we tend to primarily focus on TV and movies. And so we want to kind of dive into some of the other things, something that I mentioned earlier with rides. Maybe looking at board games or video games or even music. And other than that, that is going to be a wrap for Season 2, Episode 1. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I've been Anthony. I've been John. I've also been Anthony. <laughs> and as always, thank you so much for listening. Keep it creepy.
can find Porcelain Peak on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you're going to listen to PodCoin, don't forget to use the code PORCELAIN. That's P-O-R-C-E-L-A-I-N for 300 free coins. Wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you never miss a spine-tingling episode. Don't forget to follow us at Porcelain Peak on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or check us out on porcelainpeak.com for additional content. Special thanks to Randy Greer for writing and producing our intro song, and to Anthony Silva for designing the Porcelain Peak logo. This has been here for this fair weirdos production.